Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be your host for the next hour. I appreciate the fact that you've got a chance to take some time out of your day to listen to me. I'm here to talk business on Business Buzz, and I always talk a lot about your safety of your money. That's one of my favorite topics. I try to uh, inform you of things that I think are entertaining and newsworthy, and I always try to make sure we leave with a happy feeling of peace, which is my other favorite thing after I get done with a big day of business. I've been working all day today. It's not sounding too bad, but I've had a major cold, so I'm feeling good enough to uh, come down to the station here and uh, do today's show, but it's been a rough weekend. I didn't get as much work done as I had hoped just due to this crazy cold that I caught and seems like a lot of people have it. Hopefully, if you have it, you'll be getting over it soon. I even went in and got some antibiotics Saturday night, hoping to keep this thing at bay a little better, but it doesn't seem to be helping that much. I still don't feel well, but I'm not sick. I didn't have a fever. They had to test me for, you know how they, when you go in, they test you for all those things that they swab, and I don't have anything bad. I just have a cold, but I just went in so I could get some medicine to try to get better sooner. I'm not the type who likes to go to the doctor. Hopefully, I'm not going to keel over from something I could have prevented, but I'm sort of of the opinion that the less you go in, the less they do to you, the better off you might be. Uh, it's just a personal opinion. I've been lucky to be fairly healthy throughout my life, and maybe it's just luck, but that's just the way I am. I don't like going to the doctor. It turns out when I went, the other day I went to what they call a doc in the box. I won't mention any names. I had to fill out all four pages again of my history and all the details because it had been over a year since I had been there, and I only go there when I get a cold. So I will have to say that it's been over a year since I've even had a cold, and that's I'm very, very thankful that I've been lucky to be healthy. And they always ask about family history, and I've been pretty fortunate in that department uh, both my parents uh, have passed, but they were they were in their 80s, and neither one of them ever had any cancer, and neither one of them ever had any heart disease. Uh, they just sort of kind of like old age and lung problems and things, but uh, I don't have uh, – a lot of things are very – I mean, I'm not a doctor, so don't take this as medical advice. There's a lot of things that are very inheritable, and that's why they ask you those questions at the – doctor's office did you did your father die before age 60 with a heart attack or did your mother die before age 70 with a heart attack and things like that because there are some very big hereditary things that go on but I'm just kind of lucky I think I mean so far I'm healthy but like I say who knows I could keel over today and that would be that and boy wouldn't all my wouldn't all my uh, problems of the world go away quickly Anyway, so I've brought some interesting news to talk about. Uh, one thing I just looked up, I always try to look for local news. Oh, I'm going to have, I have a guest scheduled for the last Tuesday of the month, and her name is Sue Hildebrand, and she's running for the superintendent slot, a county superintendent. So I'll look forward to having her live on the show on January 28th is the date, and that'll be at 3 o'clock on Business Buzz. I'm going to get in touch with her opponents and see if they want to come in for one of the other dates in January so we can uh, stay equal opportunity here. But that's going to be interesting. I don't know much about the county supervisor's stands on issues, so I'm going to be looking that up between now and then. And If you have particular questions, you could call in that day and ask Ask the candidate, and like I said, I'll uh, I'll try to get the other candidates on also because I, I need to give them an opportunity too. Okay. I always like to check the Chico ER to see if there's any local business news, and I, I didn't find anything real exciting today, but there was a quick little article 
that said the new year means another new tax season, which means new tax-related scams. One in particular hones in on the desire for tax assistance. While there are plenty of legitimate companies and experts who can help you with filling out an array of forms, there are also those who pose as specialists who really want your money or personal information. So what they're saying is that make certain that the person you're going to give your paperwork to for tax season is either a, there's four types of tax preparers in California. There is an attorney can do it. Most attorneys don't do it. I'm sure there's some specialists who do, but you probably, unless you're very wealthy, I don't think you need to go that far unless you have some weird particular thing that only a tax attorney could help you with. They would probably be very expensive. Then there's certified public accountants like myself, CPAs. They're automatically uh, okay to prepare taxes. Then there's enrolled agents, which I also was an enrolled agent. A few years back, they made it to where you couldn't be both enrolled agent and CPA. And when I became a CPA, I had to turn in my enrolled agent license. Then they came back five or ten years ago saying, yes, you could be both, but I didn't. I just haven't filled out the paperwork because it's a little bit redundant to have both certifications. I'm not certain I really need that. There's lots of education requirements for CPAs. I don't think they exceed the education requirements for EAs. But anyway, you have lawyers, CPAs, EAs, or and then the final categories, I think it's just called licensed tax practitioner or licensed tax preparer. And they are not enrolled agents. They're not CPAs. They're not attorneys. Generally, they're probably less expensive, but they also might be less experienced. I, I won't blanket cover any of these groups. I would just recommend that if somebody says, oh, I can prepare your taxes and they're going to have you pay them for it, if, they, if you pay for the tax preparation, they are legally obligated to sign as preparer at the bottom and the problem is if they aren't licensed, they're going to hand you a tax return with no signature on it, and they're going to have you sign it as if you prepared it. That is illegal, and that's part of this thing that the article was mentioning the, the to avoid scams because a person that doesn't sign the tax return is probably not legal to be accepting money for a tax return. If you have somebody help you with your tax return but they're not charging you, I believe that's fine. I have never come across that as a legal issue. But if you've got a cousin who's pretty good at it and they sit down with you and they fill it out and you sign it, as long as you're not paying them, I'm pretty sure there's no harm there at all. It's still you. The main thing to remember, when you sign your tax return, you are guaranteeing what you just signed is correct. So you can't just pawn off things to a preparer and then say, oh, the preparer put that down. Uh, the preparer needs to make sure they get the numbers from you and then the preparer is not required to audit your numbers. They are required to make sure the numbers are reasonable, but it's still your numbers and you're the one responsible for those numbers. I could go all day about all the requirements and all the obligations the preparers have. Just remember that now that the new tax season, and I did just see the announcement, the first day of e-filing for individual returns is supposed to be da, 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 January 27th. That's a Monday. If everything goes according to plan, that will be the day that your tax preparer will be legally available able to e-file your tax return. So don't push them before that. They can't do it any sooner. The IRS won't accept them until that date. I have well I have uh, I have some articles to talk about uh, they're on two subjects but they're sort of interrelated so I'm going to I'm going to put them in a stack here to make sure they they interrelate properly Actually I have three topics and one is sort of unrelated but I thought it was interesting enough and I as soon as I saw how interesting it was I thought to myself, how can I make this a business buzz topic? Well, it's usually not that hard to kind of make a connection and talk about how something relates to a business subject. So here's how I did this. 
The article which I found fascinating is called The American Old West, How Hollywood Made It Wild to Make Money and Advance Gun Control. So I was also thinking while I was reading this, well, there is a big issue right now with the gun control situation in Virginia. I'm not an expert on it. I believe that the governor is trying to introduce some draconian gun legislation and there's a big day on the 20th that is supposedly like representation day where everybody talks to their congressman but it turns out this year it's going to be a big rally with gun owners sort of protesting the governor's new uh, law proposals and don't quote me on all this I don't know all the details but that's what I gather is going on in Virginia so that relates to this side of this news But the other thing I like talking about is the business of Hollywood because when you think about how much money gets made, like these movies come out, and I saw a headline the other day. It basically was saying even though Star Wars grossed a billion dollars, it's a major disappointment. And I was reading how Star Wars used to be the number one franchise, but it's been eclipsed by like Marvel Comics and all these superhero movies. With the advent of the computers on all these movies, they can pretty much do anything now, and so they can make these Marvel crazy movies with all these superheroes, and they do it on a ninety percent on a computer. I mean, they use a few famous actors to to get attention to the movie, but basically, it's all computerized stuff. So that part of Hollywood always has amazed me, especially lately. But I grew up as a pretty big fan of westerns. My dad was a western. He really liked them, and he would take my brother and I a lot of times. My dad and my mom went to movies all the time uh, on their own, and sometimes we all went as a family, but they went out a lot when the two of them went out, and they would see a movie. But there were many times where a Western would come out, and my dad would take my brother and myself, but my mom didn't care to go to those Westerns, so my dad would take the boys. And so the three of us would go see all these Westerns. That's why I remember my... My big revelation was how good those first Clint Eastwood Westerns were in the mid-60s. I was about eight years old. I think it came out in about 65 or 66 with uh, a fistful of dollars. And I remember how much we enjoyed those. And anyway, I've always been a Western fan. And when movies come to the theater, I do particularly enjoy the Westerns, uh, even in the modern-day films, more than... I don't go to the the ones I was talking about. I haven't seen a star. I saw the first Star Wars movie when it came out, and I think it was 1976, and that's the last Star Wars movie I've ever seen. I always felt like I can't believe somebody could make $100 billion on a rehashed story like that that has nothing, nothing new, nothing interesting. And, I mean, it was almost like a comedy with the robots talking and laughing and I'm still amazed to this day that that whole idea could make hundreds of billions of dollars. I'm sort of in shock over that. Now, don't I know, I have not written a screenplay myself, but I can tell you that there is nothing new in any of those plots. And really, when you think about it, next time you go to the movies, look at the basic plot line of what you're watching, especially these dramas. They're almost all the same There's about three or four basic plot line ideas that just get used over and over and over. There really isn't that much unique in any of these movies. And so they have to keep, they keep bringing out remakes of old movies like, oh, I know they they have another one. I mean, you know, Starsky and Hutch, Wild Wild West. They make movies related to old themes because they're running out of ideas. And uh, I think it's just kind of a weak platform that they're working on. Of course, that's my opinion. But I've got this article about the American Old West, and I think you'll find it very interesting. I'm going to get into some of that after this first break that's coming up right away. I'll start out right now. It's by, uh, oh, it's a website called ammo.com. So this is probably coming from a, I guarantee this is coming from a pro-gun, anti-gun control place. Okay, here comes that first break. I'm going to get right back to this interesting article about the Old West in Hollywood. And stay tuned, this is Harold Littlejohn on Business Buzz.
Heritage Insurance Agency in Chico thanks our troops and veterans for everything they've done so fearlessly for us. Send letters and packages from home and offer a veteran a discount on your local product or service. That's courtesy of Heritage Insurance Agency, Chico's premier full-service insurance agency at 290 Airpack Boulevard. Proudly serving our community for over 30 years. For more information, call 530-894-3276 or go online to heritageinsuranceagency.com. Hey guys, I'm Bob the Drop. Welcome to my podcast. Do you like water? If you do, you're going to love me. I'm pure and simple. I'm talking refreshing. Yeah. Spent 500 years in a glacier. The boy was that cold. I never was and never will be tap water. Nope. Bottled at the source, the base of Mount Shasta. Yep, pure and simple. Naturally, the best. You can try me by calling 1-800-922-6227. Mount Shasta Spring Water. Have you seen where God lives? Hi, this is Mr. Nick of We Kids. Yes, you have. It has two legs, two arms, a head. Christians are God's house. The Bible says that a Christian's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We'll be talking about this during the next We Kids, Bible-based and Christ-centered radio for little people and their families. back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Remember, I'm always trying to teach you the other side of the story and to get you to think outside the box a little bit. And that's why I pick these type of articles because they they make me think differently when I read them. And that's what I like about them. So I'm just going to read some of this article. It's called The American Old West, How Hollywood Made It Wild to Make Money and Advance Gun Control says, Hollywood has a clever way of distorting our perspective on history, and a great example of this is Western film, a movie genre we've all come to love. Cattle rustlers, guns blazing, outlaws running loose, and vigilantes dishing out vengeance indiscriminately. These scenes have become more synonymous with the American frontier than Winchester and their cartridge that won the West. But these fictional tales have produced more than entertainment for over a century, They've also contributed to an ongoing subtle push for gun control, all while making Hollywood millions. Revisionist history books tell us that the Wild West was an anarchic period of time that was not conducive to human prosperity. Images of a Hobbesian nightmare, a life that is brutish and short, are ingrained in our consciousness thanks to decades of public schooling and violent images on the silver screen, which are light on actual history and heavy on creative license. However, individuals who believe in liberty and developing their critical thinking faculties should be skeptical of most mainstream narratives regarding history, especially American history. After all, these narratives by and large have been created by Hollywood, a legacy institution that has historically advanced politically correct content with the support of Washington in order to perpetuate the cultural status quo. When the curtain of political correctness that's been draped over this particular period of history is pulled back, we see a much more nuanced picture of the American frontier. In fact, research by historians such as Peter J. Hill, Richard Schenkman, Roger D. McGrath, Terry Anderson, and W. Eugene Holland shows that this period was rather indicative of a not-so-wild Wild West. For the purposes of this article, the Wild West will now be referred to as the Old West. This is by no means a pedantic distinction, but rather an acknowledgement of the fact that this time period was not wild by any stretch of the imagination when compared to other chaotic periods in human history. Indeed, the Old West had its fair share of challenges for American settlers. But as we'll see, crafty settlers found ways through ingenuity and mutual cooperation, all done with very limited state interference, to create a stable order for generations to come. So let us delve into the not-so-wild Wild West. The not-so-violent West. The Old West was not a paradise by any stretch of the imagination. There existed conflicts between groups, such as American settlers and Native American tribes, once they came in contact in the Great Plains and other parts of the frontier. This was natural due to the cultural differences that existed between these groups and the lack of defined property rights in those regions. 
However, in more settled towns on the frontier, there was not as much violence as the Hollywood flicks would like you to believe. One of the most important texts disrupting this depiction of the Old West was W. Eugene Holland's Frontier Violence and Other Look. Holland argued that the Western frontier was a far more civilized, more peaceful, and safer place than American society is today. Additionally, historian Richard Schenkman makes the case that the popular depictions of the Old West belong more in a movie script rather than a real-life historical account. Schenkman noted, many more people have died in Hollywood westerns than ever died on the real frontier. Dodge City has become a landmark for western movies, but its portrayal is more fiction than reality. Schenkman also dismantled the Dodge City myth. In the real Dodge City, for example, there were just five killings in 1878, the most homicidal year in the little town's frontier history, scarcely enough to sustain a typical two-hour movie. Larry Schweikart of the University of Dayton also pointed out that the infamous bank robberies that captivate movie audiences were not very frequent. His research uncovered that there were fewer than a dozen bank robberies in the frontier west from 1859 to 1900. In essence, Schweikert argues that there are more bank robberies in modern-day Dayton, Ohio, in a year than there were in the entire Old West in a decade, perhaps in the entire frontier period. Arguably the strongest and most concise text reclaiming the true history of the American West, Terry L. Anderson and Peter J. Hill's The Not-So-Wild Wild West has forever changed the way Americans view the American frontier. Anderson and Hill's research found that the establishment of property rights was key in taming the American West. Indeed, this process took time, but it was well worth it. The Old West was a demonstration of human ingenuity and long-term planning that eschewed the quick fixes of modern-day politics. In mining-related matters, American settlers found ways to peacefully adjudicate disputes, which Anderson and Hill noted. In the absence of formal government, miners in a particular location would gather and hammer out rules for peacefully establishing claims and resolving disputes over them. The authors went as far as to say that the rules that govern Western mining and mineral rights evolved literally from the ground up. These developments in the Old West were no trivial occurrences. They set the stage for even bigger developments that the authors note below. Not only did the miners pave the way for mineral rights throughout the West, but they laid the foundation for Western water law. This manner of peacefully settling property rights disputes carried over into other sectors such as ranching and farming. There were obviously various roadblocks at the start, but settlers still found free market ways of getting around these obstacles. In sum, Anderson and Hill's findings demonstrated that the Old West was not so chaotic. In the mining camps and on the open range, the six-gun seldom served as the arbiter of disputes. Instead, miners established rules in camp meetings, and cattlemen used their associations to carve up the range, round up their cattle, and enforce brand registration. Though not all attempts at dispute resolution succeeded, institutional entrepreneurs found way to define and enforce property rights that created rather than destroyed wealth. In short, the West was really not so wild. Such scenes of mutual cooperation on a voluntary basis are almost unheard of in today's political climate. For many busybody politicians, all meaningful economic activity must be conducted under government supervision. As a matter of fact, had any of the problems in the Old West surfaced in present times, there would be instant calls for the government to step in and try to fix things. Once the unintended consequences of these interventions set in, the same calls for more government help would come back to life. Thankfully, our forebears were much wiser in the late 19th century. By maintaining a relatively hands-off approach, the federal government allowed the unsettled American frontier to naturally tame itself through the voluntary cooperation of settlers. Says Understanding Violence in the American West The most infamous images of the American West always consist of scenes of extreme violence and vigilante justice. Many history books have implanted in the minds of millions of students that gratuitous violence was a normal way of life in the American frontier. It also does not help that Hollywood's greatest Western films were laden with epic shootouts and cliché conflicts between outlaws and law enforcement. Although there are some slivers of truth in these depictions of the American West, they tend to be exaggerated. Since the 1970s, a wide array of literature has challenged these common assumptions. In Gunfighters, Highwaymen, and Vigilantes, historian Roger McGrath looked at notable western cities in California, Bodie and Aurora, to see how they stacked up to modern cities as far as crime rates were concerned. 
McGrath provided some context to famous scenes of bank robberies in the Old West. Next to stagecoach robbery, bank robbery is probably the form of robbery most popularly associated with the frontier West. Yet, although Aurora and Bodie together boasted several banks, no bank robbery was ever attempted. Most of the bankers were armed, as were their employees, and a robber would have run a considerable risk of being killed. Armed citizens also deterred the robbery of individuals, while armed homeowners and merchants discouraged the burglary of homes and businesses. So it's clear America's long-established gun culture and civic responsibility of providing defense transitioned quite seamlessly to the American frontier. McGrath provided some interesting statistics on robberies in Aurora and Bodie. Between 1877 and 83, there were only 32 burglaries, 17 homes, and 15 businesses in Bodie. Again, Aurora seems to have had fewer still. At least a half dozen attempted burglaries in Bodie were thwarted by the presence of armed citizens. The historian then compares these numbers to American cities. Bodie's five-year total of 32 burglaries converts to an average of 6.4 burglaries a year and gives the town a burglary rate of 128 on the FBI scale. In 1980, Miami had a burglary rate of 3,282, New York 2661, and Los Angeles 2,602. Well, I hope you're following what this is talking about, and I'm going to pick out a couple more interesting parts of this. I won't bore you with the whole article, but it's a very good read. Uh, Take a look at it on zerohedge.com. I'll be right back after this break. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. Have you ever felt haunted by your past, weighed down by mistakes you can't forget? Tuesday on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll offers a refreshing reminder that our God is the God of the second chance. Be encouraged when you listen Tuesday to Insight for Living. Tune in weekdays at 7 for Insight for Living with Chuck Swindoll here on KKXX. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Dickus. The so-called Fairness for All Act has been offered as an alternative to the controversial Equality Act. However, this legislation is just as problematic. While the Fairness for All Act seeks to amend the Civil Rights Act of 1964 by placing new protections on sexual orientation and gender identity, the bill would greatly limit protections for religious freedom. That's why Pacific Justice Institute opposes this bill. Folks, the Fairness for All Act would open the door for anti-faith discrimination. To learn more about your religious freedom rights, visit pji.org. The Pacific Justice Institute provides legal representation to individuals without charge. Learn more at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. When Dad needed help getting around, I became his driver. Soon enough, it was up to me to be his housekeeper and financial manager, too. When he moved in, I became his cook and even his nurse. But no matter what roles I play, I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the roles you play. So to help, we created aarp.org caregiving, where you can connect with experts and other caregivers. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm going to wrap up this uh, segment that I was talking about, this uh, thing about the Hollywood Westerns. And it, what interesting part of this article, you can find this on zerohedge.com. That's where I find a lot of my good news things, and it's called The American Old West, How Hollywood Made It Wild. And you can look that up and read the whole thing. But it goes on to talk about the fact that in uh, Northfield, Minnesota, the James Younger Gang, you remember Jesse James, uh, armed citizens fired back at the outlaws, killed several members of that gang during a bank robbery in Minnesota, and uh, that gang was never the same since. And then it also goes on to talk about the famous O.K. Corral incident, um, and everybody knows 
something about the OK Corral incident. And this article says what many people don't realize is that the OK Corral shootout took place during a dispute over gun control legislation in Tombstone, Arizona. According to an 1881 law, it was unlawful to carry in the hand or upon the person of otherwise any deadly weapon within the limits of Tombstone. The law, however, did not deter the outlaw gang of Ike Clanton, blah, blah, blah. For them, criminal behavior like cattle smuggling and horse thievery was a way of life. No law was going to stop them above all Tombstone's gun control ordinance. So anyway, it's an interesting article. It changes some of the ways you might think when you watch one of these old westerns where you know, every two seconds there's a gunfight in the middle of the street and people are falling off of the roof and the whole bit. And it turns out that numerically it wasn't that, it wasn't quite like that. Now, whether this was a Hollywood a gun control push, I can see how it kind of would work out that way, but uh, I'm not going to assume that that's part of this article is is the bottom line truth. But it is interesting when you read of the real statistics of things like uh, deaths in the Old West, and it's not, it's really not what, what people thought. So we're halfway through today's business buzz, and I had all kinds of things to talk about, but I think I'm going to get down to my, my, one of my favorite subjects. But what prompted me to do some math today, and we'll get into some math, but I'll keep it simple. I've already done the math and written it down, so you don't have to worry about that. The U.S. trade deficit, which means how much did we export versus how much did we import, which has really been the biggest bugaboo of our whole economy for the last 40 years, it fell more than expected to hit the lowest level since part of 2016. But what's interesting is you have to think about this. Whenever somebody talks about a gold-backed dollar or a gold standard, you think, okay, a gold standard, what, what does that mean? Let's say that the worst case scenario happens and China and Russia and the rest of the world who've been accumulating gold at these low, artificially low prices over the last 10 or 15 years, let's say that they decide to use a gold-backed trade system. Now let's also assume that they conservatively have, I've read numbers from all over. You cannot get a real number. One of the, I mean, you'll never know the actual number. One of the things that's very interesting about China and Russia is that all of their gold that's mined never leaves their country. In other words, they do not allow any to leave their country. It does not go anywhere else. Right then and there, you're not going to know how much gold China has or how much gold Russia has because they mine their gold and then keep it. So the bottom line is we don't know how much they have, but we do know how much they've imported from elsewhere over the last 10 or 15 years, and it's massive. And the estimates that I've seen have them importing over the last 10 years, China, probably twenty or 30,000 tons of gold, uh, Russia, probably half of that. And if you add that to what they've mined, which we probably really can't even know how much they've mined, you've probably got two, and these are just examples, but those are probably the two biggest ones. And India has a lot of gold also, but they don't mine it. They have to import it. What I'm trying to say is that the gold stockpiles of China and Russia are probably many times more than the U.S. gold, which is claimed to be stockpiled. Now, the claim to be part is because there has not been an audit of the Fort Knox gold now, there's gold supposedly in Fort Knox at West Point and at the Federal Reserve in New York underground. And supposedly, the U.S. claims to have 8,200 tons of gold. Nobody knows for sure whether it's really there. The other problem is, even if the gold is physically there, it's probably been leased out and promised to five, each ounce has probably been promised to five different people or 100 different people. So there really is, there may be zero gold in the U.S. ownership. Now, I'm not saying there isn't gold in the wealthy, rich guys' private ownership because the smart ones of them are buying up whatever they can get. But I'm saying as a country, we may have zero gold. But let's let's assume we're just going to do a little math today. Let's assume that we do really have 8,200 tons of gold, which, like I say, I don't believe we do, but 
that's the official figure that's claimed, even though it's never been audited. And as a CPA, I know the value of an audit, and I don't mean an IRS audit. I mean when a when a CPA firm goes into like AT&T's main office and audits their books for the year, that's an audit. And uh, you don't you don't escape you don't escape much in a real audit. Well, there's never been a real audit of the US gold. So I I'm saying there probably is zero, but I'm going to use the figure of 8200 tons. So here's the math that I did. First, I looked up, because I was just reading this trade deficit article, so I'm thinking, okay, let's say China, Russia, and the rest of the world decides to just do a gold system of trade where you don't get credit unless you have gold, and they won't accept payment in uh, junk, junk like U.S. dollars that are being printed by the trillions as we speak. So let's just say the gold has to back all the trade. So let, let's just pretend that's going to happen. Here, here we go with the math, and I'll make the math as simple as I can. One ton of gold contains 29,167 troy ounces of gold. So now I know how many ounces are in one ton. So I take the number of ounces in a ton, and I multiply that amount of ounces by the 8,200 tons that they say the United States has. Now remember, that's our gold. That's held by the treasury that's the people's gold i mean that that's that's our gold if it's there that's why i doubt if it's there it's ours okay so that means that the 8200 tons that we say we have us ha- says they have is equal to 239 million and some odd troy ounces of gold now if you take today's gold price which by the way is $100 higher than it was a month ago I'm using a figure, a round number of 1,570 an ounce. It was something near there when I looked at it uh, this morning. So the gold that the U.S. claims to have is worth uh, the 8,200 tons, which is 239 million troy ounces at 1,570 per ounce. That is worth today $375 billion. Well, okay, now that sounds like a giant amount. But uh, hold your hold your hold your horses. Our trade deficit for the month of November, which is the lowest since 2016, was 43 billion dollars. Now picture picture that everything being traded would be tra- would be traded in gold when the rest of the world decides that's the way they want payment. Here's how the math works now. If we were using gold to buy and sell all of our goods that we import from around the world versus what we export when we sell, our entire 8,200 tons, which like I say is likely not to exist anyway, would be gone in nine months. And that's the $375 billion of the, of the gold value divided by the $43 billion that went out in just the month of November of 2019. So in nine months, our entire gold hoard, if we even have it, would be gone. That is why we will never, ever be able to have a gold standard. And that's why when I preach about the money printing and the trillions and all of the things that are happening in the uh, uh, with the Federal Reserve bailing out all the banks to the tunes of trillions and trillions of dollars, and not to mention, don't forget the twenty-one trillion. Just look up, look up, uh, Doctor Skidmore, uh, Michigan State University, twenty-one trillion missing, and you'll see that we are in a very precarious place indeed. So there'll never be a gold standard. If there was, gold would have to be made worth about probably a hundred thousand dollars an ounce to even cover. Uh, you know, like I say. If, let's say we take the 15, let's call it 1,500 an ounce, we'll multiply that by 100. That means that gold is now worth 150,000 an ounce, but nine months times 100 is only 900 months. That would still only last for uh, 30, 30 years and it would be gone, and that's at 150,000 an ounce. So if you follow my logic here, you'll realize that we'll never have a gold standard and our dollar will never be worth anything because we probably don't have any gold.
And when the other countries that do have gold, when other countries that do have gold decide that's the way they want to be paid, they'll trade with each other, but they may not they may not trade with us because we may not have the form of payment that they're looking for. So that is, to me, really the biggest problem with the whole uh, uh, trade deficit and the whole world, uh, our, our economy problem, is that um, we just don't have any gold. And we've, we've, let, we've let these other countries take it. Well, that's the last break. I'm going to come back with some peace of mind, peaceful, peaceful feeling talk, and that's what's coming up next. So stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back. In this age of ear tickling, where are we to turn to hear the word? This is Pastor Greg Lundstedt from Equipping the Saints Radio, and I would like to invite you to tune in to Equipping the Saints to hear the uncompromising preaching and teaching of God's word on this station. Look us up on the web at www.etsradio.org. We look forward to our time in the word together. Pastor Greg Lundstedt and Equipping the Saints Radio. Weeknights at 6.30 here on KKXX. I spend a lot of time in the backyard, and I'm the center of attention at summer barbecues. In 96, I made some of the tastiest s'mores. And in 09, it was me, your backyard fire pit, that accidentally started a wildfire when a summer breeze carried one of my embers into some dry brush. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Every hiring manager knows that a company is only as good as the people it's made from. So where do you find the best people? That may surprise you. Meet the grads of life, young adults of unique determination and experience, an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. This is talent worth knowing about. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Business Buzz. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. At the start of a new decade, the start of a new tax season. Oh, how exciting. How exciting it all is. So I promised I'd get off the heavy subject of the fact that the U.S. is pretty much broke and uh, we'll probably never really come out of that and our dollars are going to be worth less and less as we go along. But other than that, we can still feel good. And I'm going to read. uh, What prompted me to read this section is there was an ad on the station here before I came on and it mentioned about the body being the temple and God's temple has two legs and all that. And I thought, well, that's interesting because my favorite book has a whole different way, not, not really different, but an interesting way of looking at the whole idea of the body. And it still can be thought of as a temple, but I think this gives, to me, this gives me a little more, a little more perspective on what we're really dealing with. And, of course, my favorite book is A Course in Miracles. And whether you like it or not, I like it. And the goal of this book is nothing other than peace of mind. So it's not trying to change the world. Well, I mean, it sort of is, but it's not trying to do anything. It's just trying to give you peace. So I'm going to read this uh, article from uh, this part of Chapter 8. Section 7 called The Body as a Means of Communication. Attack is always physical. When attack in any form enters your mind, you are equating yourself with a body, since this is the ego's interpretation of the body. You do not have to attack physically to accept this, to accept this interpretation. You are accepting it simply by the belief that attack can get you something you want. 
If you did not believe this, the idea of attack would have no appeal for you. When you equate yourself with a body, you will always experience depression. When a child of God thinks of himself in this way, he is belittling himself and seeing his brothers as similarly belittled. Since he can find himself only in them, he has cut himself off from salvation. Remember that the Holy Spirit interprets the body only as a means of communication. Being the communication link between God and his separated sons, the Holy Spirit interprets everything you have made in the light of what he is. The ego separates through the body. The Holy Spirit reaches through it to others. You do not perceive your brothers as the Holy Spirit does because you do not regard bodies solely as a means of joining minds and uniting them with yours and mine. This interpretation of the body will change your mind entirely about its value. Of itself, it has none. If you use the body for attack, it is harmful to you. If you use it only to reach the minds of those who believe they are bodies and teach them through the body that this is not so, you will understand the power of the mind that is in you. If you use the body for this and only for this, you cannot use it for attack. In the service of uniting, it becomes a beautiful lesson in communion, which has value until communion is. This is God's way of making unlimited what you have limited. The Holy Spirit does not see the body as you do, because he knows the only reality of anything is the service it renders God on behalf of the function he gives it. Communication ends separation. Attack promotes it. The body is beautiful or ugly, peaceful or savage, helpful or harmful, according to the use to which it is put. And in the body of another you will see the use to which you have put yours. If the body becomes a means you give to the Holy Spirit to use on behalf of union of the sonship, you will not see anything physical except as what it is. Use it for truth and you will see it truly. Misuse it and you will misunderstand it because you have already done so by misusing it. Interpret anything apart from the Holy Spirit and you will mistrust it. This will lead you to hatred and attack and loss of peace. Yet all loss comes only from your own misunderstanding. Loss of any kind is impossible. But when you look upon a brother as a physical entity, his power and glory are lost to you and so are yours. You have attacked him, but you must have attacked yourself first. Do not see him this way for your own salvation, which must bring him his. Do not allow him to belittle himself in your mind, but give him freedom from his belief in littleness and thus escape from yours. As part of you, he is holy. As part of me, you are. To communicate with part of God himself is to reach beyond the kingdom to its creator through his voice, which he has established as part of you. Rejoice then that of yourself you can do nothing. You are not of yourself. He of whom you are has willed your power and glory for you, with which you can perfectly accomplish his holy will for you when you accept it for yourself. He has not withdrawn his gifts from you, but you believe you have withdrawn them from him. Let no son of God remain hidden for his name's sake, because his name is yours. The Bible says the word or thought was made flesh. Strictly speaking, this is impossible, since it seems to involve the translation of one order of reality into another. Different orders of reality merely appear to exist, just as different orders of miracles do. Thought cannot be made into flesh except by belief, since thought is not physical. Yet thought is communication for which the body can be used. This is the only natural use to which it can be put. To use the body unnaturally is to lose sight of the Holy Spirit's purpose and thus to confuse the goal of his curriculum. There is nothing so frustrating to a learner as a curriculum he cannot learn. His sense of adequacy suffers, and he must become depressed. Being faced with an impossible learning situation is the most depressing thing in the world. In fact, it is ultimately why the world itself is depressing. The Holy Spirit's curriculum is never depressing because it is a curriculum of joy. Whenever the reaction to learning is depression, it is because the true goal of the curriculum has been lost sight of. In this world, not even the body is perceived as whole. Its purpose is seen as fragmented into many functions with little or no relationship to each other so that it appears to be ruled by chaos. Guided by the ego, it is. Guided by the Holy Spirit, it is not. It becomes a means by which the part of the mind you tried to separate from spirit 
can reach beyond its distortions and return to spirit. The ego's temple thus becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, where devotion to him replaces devotion to the ego. In this sense, the body does become a temple to God. His voice abides in it by directing the use to which it is put. Healing is the result of using the body solely for communication. Since this is natural, it heals by making whole, which is also natural. All mind is whole, and the belief that part of it is physical or not mind is a fragmented or sick interpretation. Mind cannot be made physical, but it can be made manifest through the physical if it uses the body to go beyond itself. By reaching out, the mind extends itself. It does not stop at the body, for if it does, it is blocked in its purpose. A mind that has been blocked has allowed itself to be vulnerable to attack because it has turned against itself. The removal of blocks, then, is the only way to guarantee help and healing. Help and healing are the normal expressions of a mind that is working through the body but not in it. If the mind believes the body is its goal, it will distort its perception of the body and by blocking its own extension beyond it, will induce illness by fostering separation. Perceiving the body as a separate entity cannot but foster illness because it is not true. A medium of communication loses its usefulness if it is used for anything. Sorry, these pages are really thin. If it is used for anything else. To use a medium of communication as a medium of attack is an obvious confusion in purpose. To communicate is to join and to attack is to separate. How can you do both simultaneously with the same thing and not suffer? Perception of the body can be unified only by one purpose. This releases the mind from the temptation to see the body in many lights and gives it over entirely to the one light in which it can be really understood. To confuse a learning device with a curriculum goal is a fundamental confusion that blocks the understanding of both. Learning must lead beyond the body to the reestablishment of the power of the mind in it. This can be accomplished only if the mind extends to other minds and does not arrest itself in its extension. This arrest is the cause of all illness because only extension is the mind's function. The opposite of joy is depression. When your learning promotes depression instead of joy, you cannot be listening to God's joyous teacher and learning his lessons. To see a body as anything except a means of communication is to limit your mind and to hurt yourself. Health is therefore nothing more than united purpose. If the body is brought under the purpose of the mind, it becomes whole because the mind's purpose is one. Attack can only be assumed, be an assumed purpose of the body because apart from the mind, the body has no purpose at all. You are not limited by the body and thought cannot be made flesh. Yet mind can be manifested through the body if it goes beyond it and does not interpret it as limitation. Whenever you see another as limited to or by a body, you are imposing this limit on yourself. Are you willing to accept this when your whole purpose for learning should be to escape from limitations? To conceive of the body as a means of attack and to believe that joy could possibly result is a clear-cut indication of a poor learner. He has accepted a learning goal in obvious contradiction to the unified purpose of the curriculum and one that is interfering with his ability to accept its purpose as his own. Joy is unified purpose and unified purpose is only God's. When yours is unified, it is his. Believe you can interfere with his purpose and you need salvation. You have condemned yourself, but condemnation is not of God. Therefore, it is not true. No more are any of its seeming results. When you see a brother as a body, you are condemning him because you have condemned yourself. Yet if all condemnation is unreal, and it must be unreal since it is a form of attack, then it can have no results. Do not allow yourself to suffer from imagined results of what is not true. Free your mind from the belief that this is possible. In its complete impossibility lies your only hope for release. But what other hope would you want? Freedom from illusions lies only in not believing them. There is no attack, but there is unlimited communication and therefore unlimited power and wholeness. The power of wholeness is extension. Do not arrest your thought to, in this world, and you will open your mind to creation in God. So that was part seven of chapter eight. And I know it seems a little long, but if you think about it, in my humble opinion, I'm not a master teacher of the course. I have not 
done all the exercises that are required. Uh, the The book itself says there is no time frame on there's no time frame on how long it takes you to do this whole course. So, but to me, what this means, and it's very helpful to me to to find that peaceful place, is to just remind yourself next time you're talking to someone. It's especially, it's a lot easier to do this with people you don't know too well. It's really hard to work on this course with your, like with your spouse or your best friend or your child. You're just so ingrained with the relationship you've got with that person that it's very hard to detach yourself from the old way of thinking. So the way I like to practice this type of, this part of the book and this idea of the body is solely a means of communication is when I am with someone that I don't know too well, I try to not think of him as a body, him or her as a body, but I try to think of just connecting with that person's mind. And one of the ways I like to do that, uh, one of the ways that helps me is that method called Ho'oponopono, which I've talked about before. You can look that up. That allows you to sort of connect mentally with somebody and stop thinking of them as this separate body and start thinking of them as someone connected to you and that you're together with them on a level. And the whole thing's about levels. Obviously, uh, physically on the world level, you're not connected to them. You're standing next to them. But you need to think of yourself as connected to them through your mind and just let go of the whole thing about separate bodies just for a few seconds and see if it doesn't make you feel better. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll... See you next time on Business Buzz. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day. KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR, Chico. Sour from townhall.com, I'm Keith Peters. In the opening debate about Senate impeachment rules, the White House attacked the claims of lead House manager Adam Schiff. White House correspondent Greg Clugston reports. Democratic Congressman Schiff accused the president of engaging in what he called the trifecta of constitutional misconduct, inviting foreign interference, endangering our national security, and seeking to cheat in the next election. Presidential attorney Jay Sekulow responded. The president was denied the right to cross-examine witnesses. The president was denied the right to access evidence. And the president was denied the right to have counsel present at hearings. That's a trifecta. And lead White House lawyer Pat Cipollone declared that Democrats have no case. Greg Clugston, the White House. Meanwhile, the Senate has voted down the second of what are expected to be several Democrat amendments authored by Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. The uh, yeas are 53, the nays 47. The motion to table is agreed to. Democrats have been demanding documents from the White House, the State Department, the Defense Department, the Office of Management and Budget, and other entities. A coronavirus that originated in central China has reached the United States. Snohomish County Health Officer Dr. Chris Bitters 
says the first U.S. patient diagnosed with the new coronavirus is in good condition, hospitalized in isolation. The Snohomish Health District coordinated with the Snohomish County uh, uh, Emergency Medical System to safely transport uh, the patient to Providence Regional Medical Center in Everett. Uh, That facility uh, is following our jointly developed infectious disease protocols to ensure uh, 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 prevention of transmission in the facility. On Wall Street, the Dow down by 152 points, the Nasdaq dropped 18, the S&P lower by 9, and oil dropped 29 cents to $58.25 a barrel. More on these stories at townhall.com. Bastion Gorka here. Maybe you've been hearing about Relief Factor, the 100% drug-free supplement that helps a person's body deal with inflammation and pain. You've heard all the wonderful testimonials. Well, I have my own testimonial. For many years, my lower back pain was becoming a serious problem. The short story is, I finally gave it a try. And now I'm out of pain too. So if you're in pain, you can order the three-week quick start for just $19.95. Go to relieffactor.com. If you haven't switched to Pure Talk USA, you're probably paying too much for your cell service. Pure Talk covers 99% of the country, and plans start at just $20 per line with no contract and a one-month risk-free guarantee. You've got nothing to lose. You can even keep your phone and your number. Get 50% off your first month when you call now. Just go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code HALFOFF. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code HALFOFF. An international commemoration of history begins in Israel this week. The latest from the media lines, Lawrence Rifkin. Delegations from 47 countries are descending on Jerusalem this week to commemorate 75 years since the liberation of Auschwitz. The central event will be Thursday's World Holocaust Forum 2020, highlighting the lessons.